Our scripture today is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, here we are in the midst of another wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. (laughs) We can tell because there's a few less people in the sanctuary today. This one's a lot different than the last, of course. It's less severe strain. So many folks are vaccinated and boosted, thankfully. We know masking and distancing works, even with the contagiousness of this Omicron variant, and we have so many more tools for treatment, but still, still. People are getting sick. Life is being disrupted by quarantines. I'm sure you have many stories from your friends and family just like I do. We're back to worrying about the prudence of our decisions, large and small. And and I have some wisdom from the Bible that I want to share in just a moment. But I think perhaps some of us are feeling a lot more like these days, this uh, like this Charlie Brown cartoon that I found. <laughs> Charlotte Linus says, life is difficult, isn't it, Charlie Brown? And Charlie says, yes, it is, but I've developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. (laughs) Peanuts, classic, timeless. I will say, when I was planning worship for 2022, when I was doing that in December, early December, and I chose for us to start this year with a series on fear, I really thought that the pandemic fear would be a little bit more on the back burner than it is. But here we are. And of course, this last week saw the one-year anniversary of that riot and invasion of the Capitol building, which meant a proliferation of news stories about that event and the chance for all of us to do some hand-wringing again about the health of our democracy. And then there are just our regular old fears that we have season in and season out, right? About like our financial situation, how much debt we carry or some fractured relationship we have at work or with a family member or decisions of our kids, whether they're young or old. The list goes on and on of things that we can fear. And at some level, it's normal, isn't it? It's expected to worry about things like that. The trouble is when fear turns from something occasional and something passing into something persistent and chronic. Our bodies have this amazing response to fear, meant to keep us safe which is good when we have a legitimate reason to fear. I'm not, of course, talking in this series really about moments when fear is warranted. There are moments when fear is appropriate and important and it motivates us to action when we're physically in danger. Or we might think about if someone's in a, a, a 
relationship with a spouse who's abusive, they are very fearful and they should be. Or that moment when you're about to get into a car with an intoxicated driver and you feel that rush of fear through your body, that's important. And I'm not saying let's just stop for a moment and pray and hope that everything's gonna be okay in that moment. No, those are moments when we need to take action. Those are moments when the adrenaline and the response of our bodies is helping us and we need to do something, we need to get help. But most of us are not in situations like that week in and week out. The kind of fear that we instead have to grapple with is this low grade but persistent fear that we can let run unchecked in our lives. And instead we need to take steps to lessen our fear, to let go of our worry so that it does not become something that affects deeply our relationships, our spiritual lives, or even our physical health. You know, medical experts tell us that persistent fear, and we might want to call it worry or anxiety, but it's all the same thing. It weakens our immune system. It can cause heart damage. It can cause gastrointestinal problems. It can lead to accelerated aging. It can mess with our memories and make our brains feel foggy. Fear can disrupt the way we regulate our emotions and leave us susceptible to intense emotions and impulsive reactions. It can make us fatigued. It can lead to depression and even PTSD. Fear is not good for us. And if we reflect for even a moment on that list of physical changes that fear can bring, we see that how quickly fear can also impact our relationships. If we leave fear unchecked, if we don't push back against it, it can alienate those that are closest to us. Ironically, the ones who have the best chance to help us feel safe and secure. And this is part of fear's devilishness. This is part of what makes fear an actual evil force in the world. That fear creates behavior that pushes other people away from us. And all that does is make us feel more alone and more unsettled and more insecure, which makes us more fearful. And it becomes this cycle then where the only thing that wins is fear. So once again today, I'm going to remind myself and remind you that in the midst of this fearful world, the Bible delivers to us a clear word. The Bible says, fear not. I, I do want to mention that the Bible does also use fear, the word fear, in a positive sense when it commands us to fear the Lord. But that means to worship the Lord. That means to give honor and respect to God. Fear of the Lord is not about being afraid. It's about reverence. Right? God is a God of unending love and mercy, the Bible tells us. So we fear God in that we respect and worship God above everything else. But we don't need to be afraid of God. God's not mean, God's not unpredictable, and God is not cruel. So God doesn't need to make us afraid. In fact, God wants to free us from fear. God wants us to live lives that are not trapped by fear. And we see this word about the freedom that God wants us to have from fear. We read this from the book of 2 Timothy today. It's a letter written uh, by Paul or someone who's pretending to be Paul as he nears his death. It's understood as kind of a, a set of last instructions for his protege, Timothy. And it seems like Timothy was in a tough spot. He was having some kind of trouble. He had plenty of reason to worry and be afraid. There was some sort of set of rival teachers that were threatening to disrupt the church that Timothy was leading. So Paul, or somebody who was using Paul's name, wrote to Timothy to encourage his faithfulness and his endurance to help him in this time of struggle. 
And what he says to Timothy to help him claim his leadership is, first of all, reminding him of this great legacy of faith that he's inherited. He reminds Timothy of the deep faith of his mother and of his grandmother. It reminds him that, that Timothy's not inventing something new as he teaches. He's handing on what was handed to him by faithful elders. And then he tells Timothy, Timothy he says, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. What he means is the Holy Spirit. Keep that fire of the Spirit burning brightly inside of you. And remember that that fire of the Spirit, that gift of God that's inside of you, it is not a gift of fear. God does not give us a spirit of fear. In fact, it's the opposite. Those who love God, those who follow Jesus, those who have their hearts open to the Holy Spirit are given a gift of, he says, power and love and self-discipline. We have not received a spirit of fear. Living stuck in fear is not what God intends for us. It's not the gift that the Holy Spirit brings to us. Instead, the Spirit brings gifts like what Paul says elsewhere. He says the fruit of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And those things are the opposite of what fear brings. Think about what fear brings. Fear brings isolation and anger and paranoia and impatience and cruelty and lashing out at others. When we have the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of us, when it works in us, when we cultivate it, it, it brings us things that tamp down and diminish our fear. When we focus on inhabiting those fruits of the Spirit, when we lean into those gifts of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, well, that actually gives us a pathway away from fear. It keeps us from having fear be our master and our ruler. God does not give us a spirit of fear. That's an important thing to know and remember. You know, this verse from 2 Timothy, it's a, an excellent one for us to memorize, to kind of have in our arsenal for those moments that we feel overcome with worry. Like Pastor Rebecca was talking about at the children's time, those moments when the avalanche starts in our minds, what can we do? Well, we can repeat to ourselves this verse, God does not give me a spirit of fear. God does not give me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Praying and repeating the scripture, those are essential tools for combating fear. And they become even more powerful when we also find ways to act, things to do, to encourage the fruit of the Spirit, the gift of God in us, and to set aside fear. Last week I was talking with a friend of mine, texting with a friend of mine who's a pastor, and I told him that I was working on my sermon, and I said, we're in the midst of this series about fear. And because he was a pastor, I said, hey, you got anything that I should include in my sermon? Now, I would have been happy to ask that from any of my colleagues, but I especially was interested in what he might say, what my friend Nathan might say, because in August of 2020, Nathan was diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, you all know that that is a devastating diagnosis, and Nathan and his family were devastated, of course. All of us who love Nathan were devastated. But the thing with ALS is, you know the clock is ticking. So Nathan and his family, they grieved. They grieved so hard. Of course they did. And then 
as soon as they could, they, they raised their head above that overwhelming flood of grief so that they could go on living and soaking up all the moments of life that they could. And that's what Nathan's been doing for the last 18 months. Now his body continues to fail him in new ways. He has new things to grieve all the time. And that means that Nathan has more reason to fear every day than I even want to think about. He has new reasons every day to fear for himself and his wife and his three sons. But Nathan gets up every day and he makes his body work to the ability that it can. Nathan does his job every day. He stays connected to his friends and his family. He he is a continual source of encouragement and help and support. And he is forever texting me just saying, hey, Amy, you're awesome. I love the ministry that you're doing. Keep at it. He pushes back against fear every single day. And I'm so grateful for him and the long friendship that we've had and his witness to faith and strength and love. Now, it's been pretty much a year since Nathan's been able to speak. He can't get enough air from his diaphragm in order to, to make words or noise out of his mouth anymore. So we text. We just text. And he's actually told me last week he's waiting on software to control with his eyes because his right hand is giving out on him lately and he's basically texting one-handed right now. Now, I don't tell you that so that you feel sorry for Nathan. I tell you that so that when I share what he texted me about fear, you understand that it's coming from a place that's as real as real can be. All right? Nathan suggested seven actions for us, things that we can do to lessen the power of fear in our lives. First of all, he said, plan a hundred minutes of activity a week, at least. He meant move, like exercise. Move your body in whatever way makes sense to you, whether that's walking or running, cycling, yoga, something, just move. And that reminded me that, you know, fear is something that resides in our bodies. That's why it has physical effects for us. We carry it physically. And exercise, regular exercise, helps flush that out. So 100 minutes a week at least of activity. Second, he said, do breathing exercises three times a day. Now, I don't do this, so I need to take Nathan's advice and begin to do this. You can call it meditation or mindful breathing. Just take a moment to get some extra oxygen and stillness and help clear your mind. Third, he said, stay connected to people. Turn off that TV, put down your phone, and get together with your friends. Be with the people that you really love and really be with them. Fourth, he said, find a way to meaningfully serve others once a month at least. He said, you know, reaching out to other people, helping others, especially strangers, it can combat the fears that we have about the world. Fifth, he said, and I love this, the choir's going to love this too, he said, go to live theater or a choir concert. Yeah. Now, Nathan had a really lovely singing voice, and he acted in several productions when he was in school. He loves theater. He told me last week, he said, the energy, beauty, and resilience innate in live performances ignite the light in us all to create and to connect. Sixth, he said, join a team with a purpose. Now, Nathan, he's a big guy, and he played football in college, and he said, teamwork teaches us that we're never truly alone, 
nor should we try to do life alone. Seventh, Nathan quoted John Wesley, because he is a Methodist preacher, right? So he quoted John Wesley, and he said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Giving back to God, or to a charity, or to a school, he said, it's a spark for reminding us of God's abundance in our lives. So there you go. Seven solid ways for us to act out our faith and push back against the fear that surrounds us. And when we do that, when we resist letting fear get a foothold in our lives, when we claim instead the power, uh, the spirit of power and love and self-discipline that we're given by God, the spirit that 2 Timothy says is our gift, then, you know, amazing things can happen. Truly amazing things can happen to us. I came across this story by a pastor named Carl Jacobson that illustrates this perfectly, the power of letting go of fear. It was a, an important moment in his life where he refused to be afraid, and the relationship that resulted in that, it, it had God's fingerprints all over it. He wrote about how when he was a junior in college, he was studying in Shanghai as an exchange student. And he lived in this foreign dormitory with people from all over the world, uh, a lot of Western and European folks, and then like 50 students from Africa and Arab countries. Uh, the, he and many of the um, Canadians and Europeans were there to study Chinese language. But the African and Arab students were in China because they were studying math and science in English. Uh, and so many of them didn't know Chinese and it left them isolated. It was in the days running up to the first Gulf War that this happened before Desert Storm. And so he said it was a tense time to be an American student studying abroad. And in that foreign student's dormitory, just inside the entrance, there was this chalkboard for student announcements. And he said, as the world drew closer to war, more and more frequently they would walk into the dorm and find the chalkboard filled up with Arabic script. And as often as not, there would be one English word somewhere in the middle of all of it, Bush. He said it was tense. It was tense. Well, shortly after New Year's, his Canadian roommate was gone on a trip, and he was up late studying for an exam, and there was a knock on his dorm room door. And when he opened it, he was met by one of the Muslim students from Yemen. And the man stood there in formal attire with his jambaya at his hip, which is a ceremonial but functional dagger that's about six inches long, and it's worn by all Yemeni men of age. So the man was standing there, knife on his hip. Carl said, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so I did the only thing I could think of. I invited him into my room. And as soon as the man entered his room, he did two things. He shut the door behind him, and he reached up, and he pulled the wire from the two-way speaker that was above the door. Carl said that that speaker was used for the front desk to talk to the people in the room or to eavesdrop on what was happening in the room. And every now and then they would hear the speaker prop as the two old Communist Party members at the front desk were listening to what was happening. But with that wire pulled, there was no communication one way or the other. Carl said, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so he asked the, the man, what can I do for you? And the man began to tell him about his family, about his wife and his four sons who were back in Yemen. 
He'd been separated from them by more than three years as he pursued this degree in mathematics and he missed them. And he'd been trying for two years to get the university to allow them to come and live with him, but with no success. So he came to Carl, hoping that Carl would write a letter to the president of the university in Chinese, because a letter in Chinese he said would be more successful and more likely to succeed. So Carl did it. They spent hours working together on a letter in Chinese asking that this man's family be allowed to come join him. And when they finished, Carl gave him the letter and he, he asked him one question. He said, why did you come to me? There are others here whose Chinese is much better, who have been here longer, who would do a better job. Why, why did you come to me? And the man said, I came to you because I know that you're a Christian. And I knew that a Christian would help me. There was something about Carl that made it clear he did not hold tightly to a spirit of fear, but instead that he had claimed this gift of God's love, this gift of a spirit of power and self-discipline and love. I want to be that kind of Christian in the world, and I hope you do too. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.